The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. It's been another roller coaster day on the markets. The oil market plunged, plunged again this morning with concerns over a collapse in demand. And of course, as the pandemic leaves factories, cars, airplanes, parked, idled right around the world. Yesterday, the price of oil fell below zero for the first time ever. Today, you just heard Eileen mention that West Texas Intermediate is back above zero. So is Western Canadian Select, but just barely. The fact is, producers are running out of storage space as the demand for energy collapses. And and, and right now, they're willing to pay buyers to take crude off their hands. Well, to find out more and talk economic recovery from COVID-19 in this country. We are joined by Michael Campbell, financial analyst and host of Money Talks on the Chorus Radio Network. Michael, welcome back to the show. My pleasure. And there's certainly a lot to talk about. Yeah, there is uh, there is a lot a lot to talk about, and so when we're looking at the oil prices, I kind of summed it up in the intro there. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is important to remember uh, at this point when we're looking at these oil prices? When 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 uh, the price was down below zero, then when right now Western Canadian Select is sitting at thirteen cents, what do we need to keep in mind? Well, the big thing is, of course, we've had a huge demand shock. I mean, we knew at first when China sort of had had their problems, started the lockdown. New China is the biggest buyer of oil. Estimates are somewhere around 30 million barrels per day in consumption has been lost. So when we were getting that sort of focus on OPEC plus, you know, Russia, Canada's part of it, the U.S. will be part of it, you know, cutting production, uh, I thought what was overlooked is that what they were talking about in terms of cuts in production, like 10 million barrels per day, wasn't close to the drop we've had in consumption. So it wasn't going to be enough to stem the tide, and it certainly proved that way. And as you alluded to, what really happened is we get toward that day when people have to accept uh, a thousand, you know, each contract's a thousand barrels of oil, and they got nowhere to put it. I mean, there, there's a couple of things. It's very much, you know, it's not that strange. A lot of people sort of asked me the last year, so what's that all about? I said, well, it's kind of like you go and you buy furniture. You pay them, and they promise to deliver it four weeks later. That's not an unusual transaction. Same with this. People buy oil. They were buying it back in uh, the fall and into early into January, but they promised to take delivery today. Well, lo and behold, of course, the demand has fallen off a cliff. they got nothing to do with that oil. They don't want it. You know, and now we find that storage is so cramped. Uh, they go to Cushing, Oklahoma. We know that they're nearly full. The cost of storage went way up. I was looking just yesterday. It's kind of interesting. One of the places you can store it is in these super tankers. Well, you know, the average I was sort of familiar with was about $25,000 per, per day to store it. That's gone up to 150000 165000 a day. So the bottom wow. line is it was actually cheaper to let somebody take it off your hands. I'll pay you. And the worst was, I'll pay you $37, $37.5 if you'll just take this oil. So it's not my problem because storage is going to be more expensive. So that's a simplification, but that's basically what happened. And now we get into today, and, of course, all eyes turn to the next contract. Well, do you think the, oils, uh, the storage situation is going to be better? Do you think COVID-19 will sort of be at least waning so demand will pick up? Mm. Well, obviously, the market decided no. <laughs> you know, that's not the case. They're not optimistic. They're more optimistic if you look at prices out in the fall, but not right now. And so that's what it's all about is that the demand's dropped, you know, off a cliff. You're getting delivered oil. You've got nothing to do with it. You've got nowhere to put it that's not expensive to store it. And so you're paying someone to actually take it from you. 
So, so Mike, in a nutshell, what what does that mean for? And I'm going to, you know, zone in on Alberta. Of course, that's where I'm sure. broadcasting from. What does this mean on Alberta? But what else does it mean for Canada as a whole? Well, in both cases, I mean, one of the one of the uh, arguments that's been made for the last several years is you're trying to get Canadians to wake up to the fact that, you know, the oil sands, for example, may be in northern Alberta. But the people who supply the oil sands are from across the country, whether it's, uh, you know, you've got a lot of uh, geophysicists and, and uh, environmental engineers, et cetera. They're coming out of Vancouver, a lot of those white-collar jobs. You know, you've got manufacturing taking place throughout the country. So it is definitely an impact across the country. Uh, and, and let's start with, I mean, I'd have to see the latest numbers. Uh, what we've seen already are huge production cutbacks. I mean, it seems like we get another announcement every day about uh, one oil company cutting back production. Some have shut off completely. So obviously that has an impact. It's going to be an immediate impact on employment. You know, capital investment has dropped dramatically. This is only going to make it worse. I mean, I don't see how it doesn't stand, you know, drop to a standstill. And, and now you're talking about hundreds of thousands of jobs directly. Uh, you're talking about government revenue. I, I think another message that they may, we may understand in Alberta, but it's not understood well across the country, is what a contributor um, the oil industry, oil and gas industry, is to taxation and to federal taxes. I think, you know, they're the biggest contributor as an industry, more than banks, for example, you know, and uh, provincially. We're both talking around, you know, 95 to 10% of corporate tax. Well, that's gone. I mean, uh, this is going to be another, well, I mean, I'm just estimating now for this coming year, something like $6 billion are going to be eliminated in government revenue coming into the federal government. Uh, it's the, the ripple effect is because oil and gas is an essential industry, and you can make a case it's the most important industry in the country. And, and now we're doing, and it's completely derailed. And some people are cheering this. Some people are cheering oh. the low prices. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely flabbergasted. I'm not surprised because we've allowed some people who are profoundly uh, financially illiterate and economically illiterate to play a, a prominent role in this debate without question, without being challenged. And uh, so, yes, they're back there. Uh, you know, think of what they're cheering, for example, with lower oil prices. Oh, good. They're cheering uh, the bankruptcy of Venezuela. And all the poor people there, you know, just make no mistake about it. These prices, we've got a challenge in Canada. It's a bigger challenge in Nigeria, Algeria, Venezuela, other uh, oil-producing countries. I mean, they'll literally be bankrupt. Uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, the impact it has on, uh, you know, huge communities uh, throughout the country. And cheerleading that someone's going to lose a job and a community's going to be devastated, I mean, that speaks volumes about their character and their sensitivity. Uh, and again, Michael. they don't understand the actual finances of it. I mean, uh, Michael, the Bank this... of Canada, sorry, just last Wednesday, the Bank of Canada yeah. talks about our recovery. And they're uh -huh. doing all they can. I mean, it's an unprecedented amount of money they're putting into the system to create liquidity and keep the credit markets going. But they specifically mentioned the oil industry as one that will have a, a significant impact on the quality and strength of our recovery. Um, you have mentioned, and many others have mentioned, that this is the biggest financial crisis uh, in, in, in this country's history. This deficit is going to be huge. I asked the federal um, natural resources minister, I had him on the show the other day, uh, when they were talking about what they did with the orphan wells, uh, that announcement. And I yeah. said, you know what? All of these programs that you are putting out, everything that is putting, how are we going to pay for this when we don't have the money coming in from oil? Mike, what is going to happen here six months 
a year, 18 months down the road? Well, the first thing is we're going to be over the COVID-19 pandemic before we're even close to be over the economic ramifications and the financial ramifications. As you pointed out, you know, you're looking at, I don't know what the budget deficit will be in Alberta. It's going to be, what, five or six times higher than they were just forecasting a few months ago. You know, and so we're talking about a federal deficit that I think is going to be over $200 billion. That's more than the 10 years previous combined. Uh, we'll be looking at, obviously, provincial deficits across the board. Uh, for example, out in British Columbia, uh, they were forecast to grow about 3%. Now they're forecast to contract 3%. So that's a 6% shift. We saw March, for example, contraction in the economy of 9%. Well, now the Bank of Canada and other prognosticators are coming out and saying, just wait for this second quarter that started April 1st. The bank is saying, we don't want to get exact because that pretends we have all these variables solved. And we don't. There's a lot of uncertainty still. But they're still looking at 15 to 30% contraction. Now we're hearing that the lockdown could continue in some ways much longer, uh, talking about major sporting events or, or crowds gathering, uh, travel still being impacted internationally. So those are the variables that are still out there. But there's going to be only one way out of this, and this is a real shift for Canadians in general to get their, wrap their heads around. It's going to be economic growth. We can't afford, and we've done it uh, for years, I mean, keep in mind, when we were coming into this, Back in September, I think we had zero growth. We basically had been flatlining right through to January when COVID started to hit at the end of the month. We had already been in minuscule amounts of growth because we have powerful groups lobbying against growth, presenting policies that would definitely uh, restrict growth. And they're not a big argument about when you raise taxes dramatically or you raise capital gains. There's not a big argument in economics about whether that's detrimental to economic growth. Well, those kind of shifts have to take place. Uh, and there's only going to be one solution if this isn't going to last a heck of a lot longer than it need be. And that is, we have a switch in attitude that economic growth is now the priority. Because that's the only way revenues and jobs are coming back. Because the damage from this is, is really significant. I mean, there's lots of businesses who aren't returning. How do we attract capital investment and increase productivity given the situation? Uh, both are very key, what you just said, because increased productivity gets overlooked. That's a real key component in people's standard of living. And that's what we're talking about now, by the way. We're talking about the government is spending uh, you know, records amounts of money trying to help people bridge the COVID pandemic in, you know, to the other side of it. But once that's done, if you want to have a standard of living that we're, we're earning and that we're uh, you know, stabilizing, it's going to come from economic growth and productivity is going to be a huge amount of it. But attracting capital straightforward, and we have not done a good job of it. We've seen a decline in capital investment. Alberta certainly understands that better than any other province probably, and that is just the exodus of capital that's gone out. Warren Buffett uh, actually brought that back to the table about two months ago when he backed out $4 billion, backed out of a, a Quebec LNG project, and he made it very clear. He said the political uncertainty isn't worth the risk to me. And it's not a good place. We've got to change that. We've got to get, uh, we've got to create regulatory certainty. If you're talking about oil and gas or other resources, absolutely must have some firm regulatory uh, consistency and certainty around it, because that's obviously been a problem. But there's other things, too. I mean, we're in a competition to understand that we're in a competition across the world for capital. We're not going to be the only ones thinking about this. Obviously, the U.S. has done that. So that's one group of things. We have to look at regulation. And one that Alberta's shown the lead on, again, now it seems like old days because it was a few months ago, 
is we can't afford interprovincial trade barriers anymore. They're costing the economy tens of billions of dollars. That's exactly the kind of thing we're going to say. Forget the politics. Forget the protectionism. Within Canada, we're going to create the free movements of goods and services because we are talking a huge amount of money. But that, again, requires a shift that actually economic growth is the priority, is important. Michael Campbell joining me this afternoon, the host of Money Talks on the Chorus Radio Network, of course, a financial analyst. We're talking about uh, we were talking about oil prices. We're talking about the, the price of oil, the impact on Alberta and the country, but the impact of COVID-19 on the economy and how we're going to get out of this, what this looks like for the coming months. Uh, Michael, I, I so appreciate your, your time today. And you know what? I'm, I'm looking at this and I hear it on the text line all the time that despite the government aid thousands upon thousands of jobs are being lost they're going to be lost and businesses are closing and there's a very real likelihood that many of those businesses won't reopen what uh, when you look at that what are you seeing well it's interesting uh out in british columbia they just had a survey today that showed that 40 percent of the businesses that close will not reopen that's what their owners are saying. You know, I had a business, I don't want to reopen it. It's become too difficult. And there's a couple of things. I, I think if, if uh, people are in politics, they love the idea that they can blame everything in COVID-19. That's just absolutely not the case. We were flatlining for the Canadian economy as a whole way back in September. In September, the other side, that's economics. How about the financial side? In September, mid-September, September 16th, overnight interest rates went from 2%, are you ready, to 10%. The Federal Reserve had to step in because nobody wanted to lend money. My point being, the financial markets, the credit markets were already suffering. We're already broken in terms of uh, the lenders and the people who are uh, borrowing the money. Absolutely shattered. It's still that way to this day. That's what the Bank of Canada is all about, is trying to provide liquidity so it's in the system. But my point being, that was way before COVID-19. And some of these challenges uh, predate, you know, directly. And we talk about small business not reopening the door. Well, I think it was about this time last year in Calgary, we had uh, a lot of business people out protesting the rise in property taxes. That's been a bugaboo. All three levels of government have treated uh, business like this is a little cash cow. So we can raise Canada pension plan premiums uh, for the employer. So at the same time, depending on what jurisdiction you're in across the country, we can raise minimum wage. Uh, Alberta didn't do it in the last year. They did it in the previous years. Uh, BC did it in the last year and others. Uh, so that's, that's just like a tax on small business owners right there. Um, you know, again, you look at different jurisdictions across the country and you see this constant increase in government-related costs. So we had a lot of problems well before COVID-19, and I think COVID-19 in many of these areas is simply the last straw. It's just too tough to fight that uphill battle. And so we are looking at a significant portion in different surveys saying, no, I don't think I'll, bo- I'll bother again. And that's, that's which, that'll create a problem, obviously. You've said that word taxes, and um, I, I get texts, and I know that you do on your show as as well, people saying, you know, how much do you think our taxes are going to go up to have to pay for all of this? Are we finally going to see a provincial sales tax in Alberta? Your thought on that front? Yeah, my bet is you might well in Alberta because the situation will be uh, uh, dire enough. You know, not that Alberta can't afford it because you land 
surpluses and balanced budget for so many years. So it's uh, not, uh, there's no other province that can make that claim, and certainly not the federal government can make that claim. So it does have a, a greater capacity at this wage, but I think that'll definitely be on the table. But when you get beyond that, keep in mind, taxes are always anti-growth. I mean, again... You won't find an economist who knows what they're talking about who's going to say, yeah, I got a way to revitalize the economy. Uh, we'll just raise taxes on everyone. You know, that's not going to fly. Certainly not going to fly in business. And in fact, I had a conversation uh, on the air with somebody who says, well, we're going to have to increase, you know, corporate income tax. And I said, well, how much do you think that'll raise? Because I'll tell you, zero. Money, companies aren't going to be making money here. <laughs> you know, there's nothing to be had. So all of those old formulas, it scares the dickens out of me when I hear people jump on their past hobby horses, which usually entails some combination of let's raise the regulatory burden and that'll cost more, and let's raise taxes. At some point, I mean, it never worked, but that's exactly why the Canadian economy was uh, in such mediocre or worse shape over the last couple of years. I mean, that's played a huge uh, part. There's other issues, too, for sure, but that played a huge part. Michael, we'll have about uh, 90 seconds left with you, and I know we've kind of talked the big the big scope at the federal level and the provincial level mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the municipal level, but on, on a personal level, people are freaking out. People are yep. looking at their, are the, at their savings, about their retirement funds, their pensions, and wondering, what the hell am I going to do here? Um, what do you say to them? Uh, a couple of very quick things, and then they can seriously listen to money talks because I elaborate on this. The biggest worry I have are people who buy uh, you know, fixed income for a longer term right now. I think you want to be a lender. not uh, You don't want to be a lender. Sorry, you do not want to be a lender. That means you're buying bonds. I think you've got to keep your money cash short term. Secondly, I think the stock market's given you a wonderful opportunity to unload any positions that, uh, you know, today was a down day, but up to now, it's given you an opportunity to unload positions that were uncomfortable for you on the way down, whether it's psychologically or financially. You must take advantage of it. Because all I know going into this last day is that since 1950, only one correction in the market did not go back down and retest the low. Only one. Hmm. There's 15 of them, 14 went down and test the low. Probability's on my side to be cautious. Michael Campbell, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I so appreciate your insight and your expertise on this. Uh, Look forward to hearing you on Money Talks very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.